Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 3 of the Scene From Above podcast. I'm Alistair. And I'm Andrew. And we are your hosts for a show that aims to bring you an informal discussion about the cool things happening around the world of Earth observation at the moment. You can reach us via the podcast webpage, seenfromabove.org, where you'll also find the podcast archive and show notes. Follow the show on Twitter via at EOSeenFrom and using the hashtag SeenFromAbove. Launch is 20th of March, uh, 2019. So last time we had 25 payloads and now we're up to 36. So the most significant this month or this three weeks is the OneWeb uh, satellites that have gone up. Six of those have gone up. So OneWeb is not Earth observation, but it's enabling internet connectivity across the world. Uh, it's a pretty cool thing to do, really. A significant player in hashtag new space. And the other thing that's gone up is the SpaceX Dragon, the thing that went up to the International Space Station. It was oh, a test that was flight. cool. I was a little surprised that this was classified under the payloads. I don't know. I guess it ultimately was a payload, wasn't it? Yeah, I suppose technically there was no one aboard it. So uh, nothing too exciting in the world of Earth observation. Okay, so what's the news this time around? News. Okay, we've got quite a lot of news to cover, haven't we? I'm going to pick and choose my news. I think the first thing I wanted to mention was our friends over at Synergize and their Sentinel Hub have launched a contest. And this is a contest to write custom scripts with the Sentinel Hub EO browser. There's a nice website detailing how to do it. And prizes include a thousand euros and an enterprise Sentinel Hub account. Uh, the best overall script will run a trip to Ezrin in Frascati, which if you haven't been there, is a pretty nice place. Travel and two nights accommodation included. This is a good competition, I think. You know what? I had a look at their custom script repository and I had a look at all their descriptions for creating a script because it's not something I've really done in the past. And I was really amazed how easy it was to the point where I think that the Sentinel Hub, the EO browser, is probably, yeah, I'm going to say, it, is the best viewer for Sentinel data. It's got so much power in there, especially with these custom scripts. I have to dust off my NDVI skills. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> did, did you see this? One of the ESA accounts was asking, what's the most important equation or formula in remote sensing? There's a tweet about it. Right. No, I didn't. A lot of people were saying, it's NDVI, isn't it, really? <laughs> That's the thing that everyone uses. Okay, so uh, I wanted to talk about Development Seed updating satellite utils or SAT utils. Uh, they made it completely compliant with Stack, which we've talked about in the past. I think the thing that I wanted to mention more than anything else is SAT Search. This is um, all detailed in a pretty good and comprehensive notebook. I'm just looking at it now on the SAT Utils website under SAT Search. And it's basically how you would go about accessing and searching for Landsat data and Sentinel. 2 data, but remembering that Sentinel-2 data is request to pay. So if you're doing it, you have to click the switch to accept you're paying for the data if you do start accessing it. But yeah, it's all about searching with bounding boxes and times and all this kind of stuff. This is the nice thing about Python. It's so intuitive. And what gets returned is a date and an ID. Sometimes it's the simplest things. 
<laughs> and it must take so much work to make this simple. Again, this is something that we've talked about before on the podcast, but I, I just love how easy it is to share code and explanations of the code now that notebooks are available. So I'm just interested in how the paper use works. You need an Amazon account. Right, okay. So effectively, your Amazon account is used to charge through to that. Yeah, the way it works with Python, at least, is to have an AWS account and a key, effectively, that you put in, and then it knows it's you. Right, got you. You can't access it without an account. So the first bit of news that I want to shout out is that the call for talks and workshops for Phosphor G UK 2019 to be held in Edinburgh 18th to the 21st of September is now open. So if you've got an idea for uh, a talk, which obviously can be anything to do with Phosphor G, but specifically if you have one about EO, it'd be great if you could um, head on over to the website link that we'll put in the show notes and submit a, a talk idea or an idea for a workshop. I gave a workshop last year around processing Landsat data in QGIS, and I think it went down pretty well, but it was a really good experience from my perspective. And it was really nice to be introducing Earth observation and how to process satellite data in a piece of software that people generally know quite well. The Phosphor G event in Bucharest in 2019 is holding a competition. So they're looking to call for challenges and solutions using Earth observation data. So it says here, we're challenging startups, developers, students and researchers to come up with useful and valuable or interesting open source applications using large volumes of EO data. Um, we're talking about the Sentinel Hub doing a competition. We're talking about Phosphor G Bucharest doing a competition. The Copernicus Masters is about to start. That's another competition. There's a lot of interest in this competition way of, of drilling up the data. The next bit of news that I want to highlight is something that's happened, but it's a recent post on the NASA Earth Observatory blog site. Back in January, there was a meeting in Dubai to discuss the development of a national land cover monitoring system for Afghanistan. And I just thought this was a really nice little news story, actually. So the, the blog is basically written by someone who is just going over what happened there. And it was a two-day workshop to discuss about how this Afghani national land cover monitoring system could be created. The whole system is going to be based around using remote sensing inputs, most notably from Landsat and Sentinel-2 satellites. So again, that's sort of more use of open data sets to hmm. look at national level problems and they're going to apply a standard methodology in order to try and address some of the gaps that they have in regional land cover data and i just thought this was really cool because afghanistan is one of those places where we hear in the news always in a negative context and yet this is a really positive thing that's happening and it's happening through lots of different groups from the region and and internationally coming together using yep. internationally available open data and standard methods in order to do something that, that's really positive and, and useful and beneficial. It frustrates me that things like this don't get onto the wider national news in this country. So I think the final thing I wanted to mention on, on the news was blog of the month. Great. Blog of the month, here we go. Actually, I've got two blogs I wanted to mention, but blog of the month, data science and satellite imagery. It's quite a long post. Okay. This is a nice introduction. It doesn't share any... Um, special tricks or code or anything like that it kind of introduces satellite imagery into the data science world sometimes you don't have to throw the whole deep neural networks and all this kind of buzzwords but i want the cloud damn it yeah. sometimes you don't have to do complicated 
things to get very effective solutions yeah it is blog of the month because it goes into lots of different things so is it just introducing the concept it's like a case study with hints okay cool do you want me to do my last blog go for it yet another google earth engine (laughs) application has been developed this time for monitoring water scarcity Um, this is tied into a sustainable development goal 6.4 from the UN, you go and look it up. It's such a convincing tool to work on the global scale on such a deep time series data set. You know, if you're familiar with how Google Earth Engine works, you know, you'll quickly adapt to using this this new tool. And there's a there's a blog associated to it and you know saying how it ties into this sustainable development goal and, and where the water stress is. Another good example of how these global data sets can be harnessed to address these sustainable development goals. I get the impression that more and more people are starting to find Google Earth Engine. Is there some way of generating a front end that people interact with? Do you mean in Google Earth Engine? Yeah. Oh, so you can um, do something called Google Earth Engine apps. And this is exactly what this Ah, Global Water Explorer is. So you can build anything you like. So if you've got an Earth Engine account, Mm -hmm. then you can get started with a Earth Engine app. So that's www.earthengine.app. Okay. Yeah, check it out. There's loads of stuff on there. One of the other things I wanted to mention is um, we've all heard of ice truckers in Canada through various TV programs and things. These are guys that drive across what are known as ice highways. So it's effectively across frozen lakes. But there's been a study of the ice highways using Tandem X data. This, this is brilliant. I just thought this is one of those things. It's such a great way to get people interested. So effectively, it's a study of the ice and how climate change might be having an effect on the thickness of the ice and things like that. One of the things they found is that fast-moving vehicles moving across the ice create undulations in the ice cover and that over shallow waters, these can then lead to the ice breaking up and possibly cause dangerous driving conditions, etc. for for the truckers. I just thought, this is a really cool little story where where someone is effectively doing an EO assessment of something, but then it'll really capture people's imaginations because of the TV aspect. Tandem X stands for the Terrasar X add-on for digital elevation measurement and is a twin satellite to the Terrasar X. So they're both German Earth observation satellites using synthetic aperture radar, uh, which is why they can see through the cloudy conditions of northern Canada in in winter, and dark conditions, I I presume, as well. And from that, you can generate very precise elevation models. And so that's what this this researcher has been doing. And that's the end of the news. We're lucky enough to have another interviewee with us this time. So I'd just like to quickly introduce uh, Simon Agass from UK Space. Welcome, Simon, to the podcast. Do you want to just quickly introduce yourself? Yeah, so my name is Simon Agass. I'm lead technologist for applications at the UK Space Agency, uh, where I focus most of my work on the Space for Smarter Government program. Cool. So my first question, well, it's sort of a, a mix. So, Andrew, I'm going to uh, pinch one of yours. It's, what is the Space for Smarter Government program and where does it where does it sit in the sort of governmental EO ecosystem? Because I know there's quite a lot of different groups looking into EO at the moment in government. Yeah, so the Space for Smarter Government program is a it's initiative um, from the UK Space Agency that really is designed to support government in the use of space technologies. We're not specifically 
um, focused on Earth observation, but we will focus on the three main technologies as we see them. So uh, satellite communications, uh, GNSS and GPS and the Earth observation. Okay, cool. And that's across all UK government departments? Absolutely. All, all UK government, public sector uh, departments. And so really, we are there to promote the use of space technologies and to uh, support the, the use of it. Um, there are several ways that we can do that. Um, we can do that through direct engagement with government departments and stakeholders. We have had open calls and competitions where we've encouraged industrial partners and academics to um, engage with uh, government departments and uh, we can create projects Okay. We can organize and uh, run hackathons and and also events. And uh, so in, in this instance, we've procured data on uh, behalf of uh, behalf of UK government. Okay, cool. So I, I've just got one more sort of general question. No, that's right. Uh, and then we'll, we'll move on to some of the specifics. What would you say about the health of EO in particular, but sort of space uptake in government? My feeling is that we are very much kind of on the edge of an upward curve with the use of space technologies in government. There's a, a huge amount of interest within government in terms of the efficiencies and effectiveness that uh, space technologies can bring. And there's an awful lot of interest across the whole board as well. So it's not just pockets of government that you would would be the more traditional users of Earth observation data specifically, like the DEFRAs of the world yeah. and, 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 and the agencies within the DEFRA family. But actually we getting a lot of interest from local government from some of the arm's length bodies and i think there's a there's a huge amount of interest in, in the potential that it has and uh, what it can really bring so that's brilliant for our international listeners defra is the department of the environment fisheries and rural affairs effectively our old agriculture ministry but uh, doing a bit more than that these days because I, i've always sort of seen that how central government would be able to make use of these technologies and they would have the skills mm. and the the budget i suppose <laughs> in order to do that um but it's great that you're saying that local government is also interested and in, in trying to find ways to use them. yeah absolutely i think with the with, with the advent of the new satellite systems that are coming online the, the, and, and with copernicus um coming online and, and access to those free sources of data and from the commercial world there's there's far more satellites now than than there, ever, than there have ever been um, and there's more access to that data and it's more regular and more reliable um, which yeah. makes it far easier to build systems and solutions on top of and, and have that kind of commercial business model. Yeah can I just ask a general question which is the case studies that you've managed to build up through the competitions and the funding opportunities mm. that have gone around since 2014 isn't it since you've been mm, that's right I mean it's quite a substantial catalogue of examples of work and you know I encourage everyone to Go and check them out because there's some brilliant things in there. But the question is, how have you found these being used post the end of the competition or the funding round? Is government taking hold of things like flooding and all this, you know, high quality project work and converting it into usable things within government we're certainly seeing more of that um i th i think there are still challenges that exist around how government procures these services um and uh, how these services can be operationalized in in that kind of that regular repeatable and reliable way we're seeing more interest in these in, in these applications and so I think, and this is kind of part of the curve that I was talking about, that I think it's, it's this upward trend. I was going to say, do you see it a bit like a kind of shopping basket that some government agency says, oh, we've got a big flood event and we see that you did this study. Do you then connect them to the company that did this or do you then try and 
do that in-house. We are there to kind of connect, to connect up and make introductions between uh, okay, yeah. business and government. Um, it's not, it, the technologies themselves are not something that we take forward in-house, but we do provide that, that, that kind of those introductions through different initiatives. We are trying to lower the barriers to entry and, 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 um, and break down some of these some of these blockers that are preventing the uptake of these uh, these services. That's a really important part of the whole service. I think is being able to introduce companies through to, to government. That's that's really useful. Yeah, absolutely. And we saw with the um, with the event we had in London um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, which was the uh, the networking event. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the uh, yeah, satellite applications networking event that uh, there was a lot of interest from government there's a lot of interest in business and having events like that are a great opportunity for um, businesses to showcase it could be the projects they've been working on um, either with SSGP or with other programs within uh, within UK Space Agency like the International Partnership Program and uh, and make those introductions because I, I think we find that part of the problem in government is that they it, it's knowing what the art of the possible is and actually knowing what um, services and systems and, and projects that have been out there and have actually have proved that um, satellites can uh, provide a benefit. Yeah, yeah, that was a really excellent event, by the way. Uh, really oh, appreciate you guys <laughs> setting up. Well, it's just that you called it a networking event. You, you know, you, yeah. you sort of, you've got that kind of focus. And yeah, that, absolutely. That, and- I think that's... A, key difference between that and let's all just go into one room and sit down <laughs> so I, I thought it was really great and um, the other key part in that is the applications as well so often these events can be focused on the upstream um, the hardware um, yeah. and even the data itself um, whereas what we're really trying to do is to extract the value from the data and show what the what the applications can be what the the downstream benefits are of uh, using this data am i correct in thinking that at the time that this interview is being recorded this is an exclusive about an upcoming data release that you guys have um yes i believe at time of recording <laughs> it is <laughs> boom global leaders on eo news <laughs> <laughs> There was a short press release uh, back in October that suggested that this was coming. And we have had uh, some of our friends from um, some of the various departments within DEFRA, some of the various agencies in DEFRA, testing out just to make sure that uh, the portal is working as we, ex- we, we it should and everyone can get hold of the data. But yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, the uh, SSGP um, data initiative has been around procuring satellite data on behalf of government. Okay. And in this instance, it's, it's, it's on an R&D basis, um, but it's a multi-user, multi-use license for uh, both optical data and radar data, and it can be used by anybody across government. Okay, cool. Um, and and uh, also importantly, it can be used by partners of government. Um, right. So we're not, uh, we're not excluding um, commercial organizations or academics, but they do have to have what we're terming a government sponsor. Right. Okay. As long as they have somebody within government um, who is interested in the output, um, and essentially we're making government the beneficiary of uh, yeah. of uh, the research, the R and D, and you know I think there'll be a particular focus on the um, product development side of things. This again comes back to the, the the development of applications and downstream applications to show what the art of the possible is. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, um, the SSGP program has um, purchased a uh, license to use this data for government. Um, and uh, we're hoping that uh, there's a, a, 
a lot of uptake. So cool. what is this data that you've got? The data we have, so we've got um, two lots of data as we're terming them. So we've got uh, optical data. So we have a variety of resolutions, as you can imagine. But uh, in terms of optical data, it's primarily Pleiades data, uh, 50 centimeter data from Airbus. Mm-hmm. That data we have, we've procured data from the last three years. Um, however, as last summer was such a good uh, summer for uh, capturing imagery, a lot of the imagery is from last summer, which is great because it makes it uh, very current. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, there's also data from Spot6 and TripleSat and uh, DMC. So are yes. you accessing the optical data on a sort of tile-by-tile basis? Can you clip out a area or how, how is the user going to get it? Because this is going to be quite heavy data, I always call it, sort of, you know, quite a lot to download. It is um, relatively heavy data, um, as you put it. Um, so we're making it available through the uh, CDAS portal. So that's the um, Sentinel Data Access Portal um, that's uh, operated by the Satellite, satellite Applications Caspot. And so we're, we're we're putting the data on that system um, as it was a it was a pre pre existing infrastructure. Um, yeah. And there is a mechanism for searching through the data um, and uh, downloading the data from there. Um, so it's on a scene by scene basis. Okay, so you you would just you could draw an area of interest and then download the scenes that fall within your yes, area of interest. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. And, uh, so as well as the optical data, we've also got um, uh, radar data, so uh, SAR data. F- okay. There's uh, radar data that covers approximately about fifty two percent of the UK landmass, um, and optical data that covers about eighty five percent of the UK landmass. Wow. Okay, that's really good. That's the Cosmos SkyMed stuff. It's Cosmos SkyMed. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and again, there's, there's a variety of um, resolutions and modes uh, that okay. we've, uh, yeah. we've captured um, so that uh, there's, there's plenty of scope for kind of exploring what's possible. Yeah. After someone's downloaded the data, a partner or government employee or, or whatever, are you looking, what are you looking to get back from them? We've we've made it as 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 lightweight as possible in terms of the requirements. So there isn't a, there isn't a requirement to apply for the data, but we will be asking to write a short note on on what uh, individuals are going to do with the data, and this is so we can gather some market intelligence um, and requirements about uh, where people's uh, areas of interest are. I think it'd be really nice to open up some of the data, like the spot data, to to new users, because that's something that we've mentioned, Andrew and I, on the podcast about how sometimes, because at the moment, there's so much focus on the data coming out of the Copernicus program, mm. the other <laughs> really good data sets that are there yeah. that are almost get get sort of forgotten about this is this is probably a first in government and we're hoping that this is this is kind of laying the path um for uh, for future um, exploitation of satellite data within government it's really amazing isn't it because you seem to be leading the way when we made the initial announcement in october that this was this was coming i know certainly there were some um, international partners who were also kind of advocating this approach and suggesting it might be something that they want to do because it's a significant investment i'd imagine um, yes, yes, it's it, it is a it's it's a significant investment. It, it's very important for the community as a whole for this to happen. In terms of what us in the SSGP are there, and more widely across the space agency, you know, we're, we're not just there to support the technology; we're there to support the growth and of the market, yeah. and the market opportunities. Um, and so, it's important that you know this is by lowering the barriers to entry and getting more people using satellite data 
that it, it has the inevitable effect of growing the market, you know, almost as a byproduct. I mean, in some ways, success here for you could be you doing a lot of work. You know, you could be supporting a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we absolutely expect that to happen. We know that there are going to be, essentially, we've kind of got two categories of users within government. We've got those that um, have experience in using satellite data and geospatial data and are very keen to get, you know, get their hands on the data and actually do the processing and some analysis themselves. And then we know we've got other pockets of government that they really see the benefit to using this and they can come up with some great ideas about what they want to do with it, but don't necessarily have the, the skills and resources to do that in-house. One thing that we're also planning on doing uh, later in the year is we're putting some materials material together to run some short courses on just some basic processing techniques. Okay, cool. We're hoping to launch that in the summer, which will be like the other course that we run, um, our Introduction to Satellite Applications, which is a, a one-day course that's uh, free for, for, for government uh, for, for employees of government to come along and learn a little bit about what's possible with satellites. Yeah, because you don't necessarily want people downloading all this data and then saying, you know, oh, great, you know, you see you've downloaded this tile, what did you do with it? And they just, well, you know, it's such a beautiful image. I made it the backdrop of my desktop. <laughs> Absolutely. We've got to get beyond as an, in, as an industry of saying, we've got a beautiful image. Y yes, it is a beautiful image, but we can generate so much more from that. Absolutely. And, you know, these days, you know, there's, there's a lot of um, techniques and, and, you know, even uh, open source software out there where you can actually start to generate information from, um, from, from these images um, yeah. relatively, relatively easily. Do you have a roadmap for getting even more data into it? Or is the plan to basically see what the uptake of this is like over the summer and into, into the autumn of this year and then sort of reassess where things go? I think that probably is going to be the case. We really want to use this data and uh, to kind of start building those business cases to get more of it. Yeah. I think we may be able to get some updates to it, um, but at the minute we absolutely don't know how how often we're going to do, do be able to do that or when we're going to be able to do that. It will be business case depending. Yeah. Okay. This is why we really want everybody to get out there and start using this data and start asking questions about this data as well. We know we're going to get probably a flood of people saying, well, we've downloaded some data. What now? Yeah. Uh, and that's, and that's, you know, and, and, and that's not a bad thing. That's, yeah. you know, it, yeah. it shows there's interest there. And we know there's a, a whole range of um, different organizations at different scales out there that can help. Just point them at the podcast and we'll do our best. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> this environment that we're in, the, the, the Earth observation um, kind of landscape has just really changed. Yeah. And now it doesn't matter whether you... You know, you can you can build a solution that uses free data. You can build a solution that uses medium price data. You can build a solution that uses very expensive data. The, the whole spectrum of data that's now available to start building business models on has just completely changed. Yeah. And now with the uh, more advanced processing techniques and the the machine learning and and uh, automation that's being brought into it. Uh, just the whole scalability of solutions is um, is just incredible. How do you see the differences between the UK and predominantly North American companies? So I'm thinking of companies like Development Seed, Mapbox, Radiant Earth Foundation, Spark Geo, Digital Globe, etc. Yeah. Taking a, a little step to the side, I mentioned this because a lot of our listeners are early career professionals or at universities who are seeing these great companies chucking out pretty amazing stuff. 
Yeah. Where do you see the UK in, in this space? And to sort of lead into more things that you're interested in, like hackathons, can these hackathons help the UK become more prevalent in these areas? I believe they can. I mean, I was looking at a, uh, I think it was the GeoBiz report from last year um, around the geospatial industry is uh, just slightly broader, but um, yeah. you know, the, the UK is number two in terms of adoption yeah. of geospatial technologies. But in terms of developing the applications and the software, I think there's still more work to be done. We need to start seeing Earth, and I don't think this is just the UK actually, but I think we need to start seeing Earth observation data as just another data set. Um, it's when we start augmenting it with um, IoT sensors and more institute data and other geospatial data sets that it just t- takes on this whole new uh, world of, of um of uh, uh, of benefits that it can provide we need to start looking at other industries um, you know the games industry for example the wider geospatial industry the wider data science industry and we need to start this cross fertilization between these different industries and between these different skill sets i'm afraid we're going to have to wrap up there no problem at all <laughs> thank you so much though simon that's been really interesting yeah thanks yeah simon. no problem thank you very much indeed If you listen to the last two episodes, you'll know that we need your help to make a special podcast episode later in the year. We'd like to hear from you, so we encourage you to record two to three minutes of audio or write a couple of paragraphs about what you think is exciting in remote sensing as you see it, and particularly what's happening in your part of the world. Please include your name or Twitter handle so we can name check you in the podcast. And we reserve the right to edit what you send us so that it fits with the podcast format. But we'll try to keep the message true to what you're trying to say. You can send any contributions to Seen From Above Podcast, all one word, at gmail.com before April 25th, 2019. We look forward to finding out what you have to say. If you have any requests for new segments, topics for us to discuss, or guests you'd like to hear from, then we encourage you to drop us a line through Twitter using at EOSeenFrom or our personal accounts at AJGJogger and at Matt underscore Andrew. Please do get in touch and help us build a vibrant community around the podcast. Thanks for listening, and that's it for now. Cheers, Andrew. Thanks, Alistair. Bye. We go. We off. You here? Music is Cracker Jacks and Tin Whistles by Ocean Heights and is licensed under the Attribution Non Commercial Creative Commons license. Available on freemusicarchive.org. I could do a podcast just reading out all the different <laughs> products that Amazon have got. I'm, just, I'm looking at it now. It's <laughs> got brilliant. the storage S3, EBS, <laughs> EF, 
EFS, S3 Glacier, Amazon Storage Gateway. We're halfway. Amazon Snow Family, uh, Amazon FX, FSX for Lustra, F- Amazon FXX X for Windows File Server and AWS Backup. Um, I just want some storage, please. <laughs> yeah.